Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger and my amateur radio call sign is W2LIE. And today we are talking about plectrons and early fire alerting methods. You can learn more about this by going to our website and looking at the session notes by going to scannerschool.com slash session 206. So have you checked out our brand new community platform over on Discord? You can join this community by going to scannerschool.com slash discord. It's D-I-S-C-O-R-D. So today we are talking with Greg Johnson about Plectron receivers and how he, as a volunteer firefighter, were alerted to calls before they had in-home radio alerting. Now, I knew Plectrons were one of the earliest, if not the earliest type of home receivers that were used for volunteer firefighters. But what I didn't know was just how much they evolved over their own lifespan. And what I found very interesting here is the stories that Greg has shared about his life and his family's life, being in the fire service, even before a Plectron was even issued to them, just how he and his family were alerted for an active fire call in his neighborhood and his community. I mean, think about it. Today, we take an awful lot about communication and technology for granted, right? We've got cell phones that, right, they get they get phone calls. They get text messaging, though. And they've got applications on them that run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and these are really, they're smart devices, right? That's, that's what they are. They're a smartphone. And these devices not only get phone calls and text messaging and voicemail and everything else, but they record audio, they record video, they can send pictures, they can listen to music, and hopefully you guys are using and listening to podcasts also. But before we had cell phones in our pockets, many of us had pagers, and we could be finally be reached anywhere at any time that you can get a paging signal. Now, these pages all started as just numerical only, and you had to find a pay phone or borrow somebody else's phone to say, hey, I got a page for this number. Did somebody call me? Or you checked your voicemail. Eventually, you got a, a alphanumeric page. Sometimes somebody would call up your pager number, and an operator would answer the phone, and you would dictate that message to the operator, and they would type it in and send it to somebody. Yeah. These are things that we don't think about anymore, right? These are the old days at this point. But things have evolved, right? And of course, we have the old reliable two-way radio. And again, as the ARRL says, right, when all else fails, right, there's amateur radio. When all else fails, there's radio. There's two-way radio. But we don't realize just how much has changed until we stop to think about it. But what happened before technology evolved to allow people to have a semi-portable or a at-home receiver that was advanced enough to alert them that they had a call coming across and also wasn't for the neighboring department, right? Something had to evolve. There had to be some sort of technological advancement to get there and to get this to happen. But before that, right, 
what were the methods of saying, you've got to respond to headquarters. We've got a call coming in. Greg, today, he's got a lot of stories. And I feel like we can all understand the evolution of not only the Plectron receiver, but just how we got to this point where we are today with hearing the tones over the air. Because don't forget, we're going through a bit of a technological change now too, right? A lot of places, not where I live, but maybe where you live, are starting to move over to a P25 dispatching talk group. So there's a little bit of evolution here because a lot of the old ways now are not working anymore, right? You don't get dispatched on low band or VHF or UHF. Now you need something that does trunking to get dispatched. You need something a little bit more advanced than just the old reliable communication method of point-to-point communication or through a repeater. But like I said, Greg has got a lot of stories on the evolution that even he personally has gone through and his family has gone through with the Volunteer Fire Service. This podcast episode is 100% Greg's idea. I want to thank him again for bringing this idea to us and sharing his stories with us. And if you have something that you want to talk about, something that you are an expert in, in the scanner radio or just the radio hobby in general, I'm inviting you to be a guest on the podcast by going to scannerschool.com slash guest or just email me directly, phil at scannerschool.com. So what we'll do is we'll put a couple of links in the description of the podcast where you can hopefully buy a Plectron receiver. I have a couple here, and you'll hear in the podcast that I was showing up to the camera so uh, Greg can take a look at them. But they are a really cool piece of radio history, and they're really not that expensive. So if you can find one that will work for you, I say go for it. Now, before we get any further in this week's podcast, I want to take a few minutes to thank our Patreon supporters. Now, Patreon is an affordable way for you to support the podcast and our upcoming expansion into YouTube for 2022. So think of Patreon as the PBS model of helping out Scanner School. For a monthly or yearly donation, not only do you help support the podcast, but depending on your donation tier, you will receive certain benefits. The most popular benefit tier being our $5 a month or the $51 a year tier. It's the same tier. We just discount if you can pay us over a year. Now, this tier offers the podcast and YouTube videos early. And also, you receive a free squelchy pack of stickers, several discounts, and access to our monthly live scanner radio roundtable discussion we hold monthly on Zoom. Oh, and by the way, most of the Patreon levels also get a special version of the podcast that does not include the middle advertising break in each episode. Now, find out more about Patreon and our supporting tiers by visiting scannerschool.com Patreon. I'd also like to take a moment here and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pascoe, David C., Denny Crowdy, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Floyd Goff, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, James Broxton, James Felling, James Peruta, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, John Kordoff, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lynn Smith, Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Gorman, 
Ryan, Michael Kroger, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Paul Sesh, Randy Cummins, Raymond Hill, Robert, Ronnie Bach, Sal Marandola, Terry Weatherford, Tim Mazet, Ted Glegai, and William Arcand. Hi, Greg. It's good to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Phil. I hope we have a little bit of fun here today with Plectrons. I'm, I'm sure we will. So we're here to talk about Plectron radios today. And before we get there, why don't we uh, talk about a little bit of a background in your uh, history just on scanning and what got you started and, and uh, where you are today with, uh, with the hobby. Sure. Well, probably like a lot of uh, your listeners, I spent uh, my early years uh, scanning because my father, grandfather, and, and a lot of friends were on fire departments and and as soon as uh, I could get my first Heath kit, and gosh, I don't even remember what else was out there at that time, I started listening to uh, our fire dispatch. And uh, that's really kind of what got me going. Then I went into uh, civil defense communication, and, and that took me down the CB path, kept with the scanners, and then got into Explore Scouts that, again, kind of tied in with a sheriff's department and scanning and listening. So really from my early teens on, I've been somewhat in the business of listening to scanners. There was a few years there where I probably took a break like a lot of us, got busy with life and other things, but uh, but but now I'm kind of trying to figure out how to get back into this trunk and SDR radio and all the uh, all the new fun stuff. So that's kind of a brief history of scanning for me. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, your story is kind of the same as a lot of people, right? Somebody led them into the hobby and uh, same here, right? My, my father and grandfather were into uh, scanning or just listening. And uh, just, you know, I took a breather for a while and came back in. And it's, I think everything, it's a hobby. Either you're into it, then you lose it, but then you come back to it and it's always there. But what we're talking about today is a whole lot different than um, than trunk scanning and SDRs and all that stuff. I mean, we're going back to bare bone basics, basically. I mean, this is one step, I think, above bare bone listening, right? So why don't you explain to anybody? I mean, I've got a couple of Plectrons and I keep them here because they're unique, right? They're, they're a little bit of a piece of radio history. They're still functional today, but they don't really serve I – mean, they can serve the same thing as they did uh, in yesteryear, but they're – they're a piece of history, basically. So why don't you explain what, what a Plectron radio is and uh, what makes it uh, very, very specific to what it does? Well, particularly the early model Plectrons were, were very unique or single focused in the fact that they basically sat there perfectly quiet until some dispatcher pushed a button for a specific tone for your department, your unit, your, your organization, whatever it might have been. And that tone then would activate and open up your radio. And again, back in the real early days for a very short period of time, and you had no control over that. And the dispatcher had to say what he had to say. And 30 seconds later, or thereabouts, your radio would turn back off and go back to sleep. So it basically was a dispatch radio, I guess, is maybe another way to look at it. Right. So basically before the Plectrons, the, so the Plectron is, is, is basically a radio that activate, activated as a P 
pager, but it was more of a filter, right? So the tones would come over the air and you'd hear the dispatcher. And then after a set time, the radio would go back and basically go back on the hook or off the hook, whatever you want to say, and would wait for the next set of tones to come across. But prior to this, the, the Plectron receivers though, right? It was basically, you listened to everything. There was no filtering out of the dispatcher, right? I mean, this is the first in-home unit that allowed firefighters to be activated and also keep the radio quiet. Yeah, to my knowledge, that would be right. Mm-hmm. Short, short of some tunable radio that might have been out there uh, back in the day, but I'm sure those were pretty far and few between. But realistically, for a fireman or an EMT or whatever the, the emergency service may have been, I'm sure the Plectron was probably the first wide use receiver in their homes. Absolutely. Yeah. And the way that Plectron works is a lot different than the way radios today work, right? So before we get into um, how it would decode with the to- with the tones and the, and the reads and the whole stuff like that, and you know the analog world of radio at that time, these radios they weren't really programmable, right? I mean, you bought them, and that's yep, yep, very much so. I can remember uh, back in the late fifties. Again, my grandfather, father, and brother were all on the same volunteer fire department. And the radio would go off and everybody, you know, kind of like you see the old time TV shows, everybody would huddle around the radio to listen to the dispatch. And then there'd be open squelch for some period of time. And, you know, if it was a mutual aid call or something, the dispatcher might continue to talk to somebody else. And that was your only window to listen to scanning, if you think of it that way, or or whatever, to hear what was going on before your radio magically turned off again. And then, you know, you were done. <laughs> there was right. there was nothing else to do. Later, of course, they they put a monitor switch in, in the Plectrons, and you could flip it to monitor and actually listen to your dispatch channel, but the early tube types, uh, they didn't have that feature. So, Right. And they were only single frequency, right? There was no tuning around either. I mean, when, when you were issued or you got your Plectron, it was right to that dispatch frequency that you needed it set for. That's, that's correct. And again, you know, I'm sure everyone around the country was different, but we were on 3390 low band. And, uh, you know, we could hear the dispatcher. He had a booming, dis- powerful base station, et cetera, et cetera. But the only mobile units we could hear would be something that would be in just a couple miles of our receiver. And again, that was that was only for that 30 seconds or so. So mm-hmm. it was uh, pretty limited listening, if you will. Right. And let's take it back a second, too. So you had this in-home alerting, right, of Plectron. Prior to Plectron and these in-home alerting boxes, how did fire departments or fi- firefighters get alerted, right? I mean... Yeah. Well, I'm sure there were different systems around the country and, and different departments had different ways. But but again, I remember back growing up, you know, dad, at that point, it was dad and my grandpa were firemen. And we had a bell in the house and the bell was about a five or six inch gong bell, kind of like you think of a, a school bell. And it was mounted in the, in the stairway to to our basement. And it was loud enough you could hear it anywhere in the house. But all it did was tell you there was a call. 
You didn't know if it was fire, EMS, a motor vehicle accident. You just knew that your department was being summoned. And then at the same time, the firehouse had a siren mounted on the roof and that siren would start blowing. And between the bell when you're in the fireman's home and that siren, that was uh, that was it. That was right. the way they got volunteers, at least where we grew up. Again, other parts of the country may have had different systems, but but that was pretty much it for, wow, quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was kind of kind of fun was the uh, the fire siren. It was a fail safe kind of design, if you think about it, because once the, the dispatcher toned out that siren, it would cycle on and off until somebody physically was at the firehouse and pulled the, the big knife switch to turn it off and reset it. So oh, wow. somebody was going to go sooner or later. Right, you know, right. Even right. if it was only one person, somebody had to get to the firehouse to turn the siren off. So, right. I guess uh, that was that was somebody's way of knowing that somebody responded to the call, right? So Yeah, that was your first indication. The siren stopped cycling. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow, yeah, that, yeah. that's unique. But uh, yeah, so we're thinking about that's. I mean, that's. I wanted. To, I wanted to kind of lay out the lay of the land here. Basically, that this is how early in the radio, the communications period that we're at right now. So you've got audibles on the fire department. You have an in-house bell alert system, and now you finally got a radio that would alert. I mean, that's that's right. where we basically are right now in this in the evolution. Of. Right, right. And we're, we're talking about the uh, early to mid 50s at this point. Mm-hmm. And there was no such thing quite yet as a transistor radio. That was soon to come. So the radios were all tube type. So therefore, it was electric only. So when the house power went off due to a storm, there was no notification other than hopefully the fire siren would work. But again, it, like everything else, ran on electric. So, you know, there was uh, not the redundancy that we have today. Right. Yeah. Diff- different world. <laughs> so that's, that's exactly sure. right. So that's that's a, the picture we're trying to paint here. So again, we've got a tube-based radio, and again, tubes. I mean, they're they're um, the best way to describe them basically are uh, electric uh, light bulbs or filaments, right? That replaces today's transistor radios and stuff like that. I mean, things they were they were big and they had to warm up, or you'd see them glowing, yeah. and some of them were were had enough heat off of them to to to, to heat a small room if you transmitted through them. But yeah. uh, as far as receiving, though, I mean, tubes were in any kind of radio device, right? Any from any receiver to any transmitter, and that was a critical component even in tvs right tubes were basically in anything that had to deal with rf at the time and there's another part of that plectron receiver that so you got the receive circuitry which is all part of the tubes but you still had the audio audible or the alerting system right and those were done on on reads right which is why we've got a certain set of even today we have a certain table of tones that we go by and of course there's a GE table and there's a plectron table. And of course, there's a, there's a slow plectron table and a fast plectron table. And there's the Motorola table. But each one of these systems all had their own set of tones. And you can mix and match basically if you want to. But if you had basically a plectron alerting system, you'd want to use the plectron tones right. and, uh, right. and stuff like that. So, but 
uh, I mean, do you know how the the read system work? Can you explain how how that would work and and how yeah, basically it's really, tuned to that, right? Yeah, I don't have a, a real technical background in that, but mm-hmm. but obviously each department had their own read or or tone. So if you were to listen open monitor and you heard the dispatch going out for different departments you're audibly you could actually hear the different tones and when you got good at it you could pick out the tone and know you knew who was getting a tone mm-hmm. before the dispatcher said the name of the department or the numbering system or whatever they happened to use and like you said there was fast tones and you know some of them were two long tones that were what uh, two or three seconds each and then there was right. The Zetron, which I think had the two-second tone and then like a, a quarter-second tone, they called it the dip, that would actually kick on the radio. So, you know, they all had something different, but but the dispatcher would basically generate a set of tones, and then the reads and the receivers would resonate to that tone. And if they if they saw what they were looking for, then that actually was what opened up the radio to allow the audio. Yep. It's exactly where I was hoping you'd go with that. So that's, okay. that's exactly the, the, <laughs> that's exactly the amount of tentacle answer I was looking for. Yeah. The reads, the reads would vibrate that would allow it to hit that trigger point, right? The timing had to be there. And then the cycle time for the second one would have to be there. And yeah, it, it's not something that you can just say, oh, I, I had to adjust my tones. No, you had to get different reads for the receiver. Right. And also they had to be tuned. The receiver would have to be tuned for everything in order to work. It wasn't just a simple pop it open type of deal. I mean, it was, you'd have to either bring it into a radio guy or something like that and, and have, everything calibrated up to to be used right but um i mean there was there's plenty of different versions of plectrons out there it's not it wasn't just you got one radio and that was the end of it i mean there was like everything else that was the evolution of the plectron unit and even here i mean i've got two different plectron units when i bought them on ebay they were a pair and it was great because it was my county on 4610 and there was my neighboring county on 4646 and, uh, you know, as many people do, we, we kind of lend out equipment to somebody else and then it disappears, right? The equipment kind of grows legs and walks away. And then, uh, the person bought me a replacement one, but now it's not the same. So it's, now it's not a matching pair anymore, <laughs> but it's, it's in its way, it's still cool because now it's two different versions of the Plectron. So, and if I wanted to, you know, while it's still on low band, I really could plug them in and listen before things kind of disappear. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a little piece of radio history. So. You've got a lot more here, though, right, on uh, on how you use plectrons and, and uh, what they mean in, to your history and listening. I, I think as, as a fireman or EMT or any sort of first responder that, that needed a, a, a plectron or a plectron-like radio, I think the evolution is interesting because, you know, like we've already been talking about, in those early days, you were stuck to your interior of your home or someplace where you were able to hear the fire siren. And as loud as those sirens were, I think we all know because we hear them when there's tornado alerts or weather warnings, whatever, they work great sometimes, but if you're upwind from them, they don't really work that well or that far. So they really weren't that dependable. And certainly when you get inside of a, a grocery store or a hardware store or something like that, that fire siren 
is pretty much muted out. So what that meant was anytime as a fireman, you went to the store, you were taking yourself off duty because you couldn't hear the call. And good golly, I can remember coming back from church or wherever with, with the family and dad would go by the firehouse on the way home. The trucks were missing. We didn't go home. He pulled into the station and tried to catch up to what was going on. Or, or if we heard the sirens of the trucks, it wasn't beyond him to chase the trucks to figure out where they were going. But, you know, there was no radio to do that. Then Plectron came along uh, in the mid-60s when transistor radios kind of came in to be. And they started to make uh, radios available with battery packs. I don't know how to quite to describe what a plectron physically looked like, but was uh, about a foot wide and four or five inches tall and, I don't know, six, eight inches deep. So it was a pretty good sized box. And it was... Right. It's like the modern modern uh, cable box, I would describe it to, right? Something yeah, like, yeah. Right okay, that, yeah. something like that. And it was, its exterior was primarily metal or metal-like components and it had a handle on it and again because we were on low band you had this big old antenna hanging out of it and that's what you drug around with you when you went to the grocery store you know you put it where the baby was supposed to sit in the shopping cart right so you could (laughs) so you could hear it and and you would hope you weren't in a dead spot or if you went uh went to a neighbor's house you took the uh the plectron with you and you sat it on their kitchen counter that was just, it was a part of you. It, kind of like pagers and, and other things are now. You drug this big thing around with you and and uh, hoped that it didn't talk to you while you, you know, were out doing you, something fun. You're putting two and two together now. So I, I just spoke about my friend who I loaned my Plectron to and he bought me another one. It had a handle on it. It has a handle. Yeah. I never knew why it has a handle on it. So oh, now, Absolutely. So now I know. So it was it was it was so you can take it around, and it it might even have a battery. Pack. I don't know if it has a battery pack in it, but it's definitely more. It has the handle. Well, the other one just has the the brown veneer that you know that contact paper that went around it, kind of dressed up right. the cabin a little bit. Yeah, but uh, yeah. that's that's interesting. That uh, that that's that's how they they let you take it around with you and, and make it portable. So this is definitely something you wouldn't put on your belt. Yeah, <laughs> you were a big guy. No. <laughs> And it would actually fill up a book bag. So, you know, it was more book bag size than belt size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the P1, the uh, the P500 and 700, they started to have the battery packs. And that was an option. They all didn't have it. And, and they, you know, they had different life cycles on the batteries. But what that, the first thing that that did, even in the home, is if your power went out, your radio still works. So mm-hmm. it just, improved dependability of being able to receive the alert if one was to go out for you, which really changed really changed the game quite a bit when they went to that. But right. that, that handle you're talking about, I don't know exactly which model you have, but that was usually where the speaker was on some of them. On, on, I okay. think on the P1, they put the speaker there knowing, <laughs> knowing, that as you stood it up with the handle up, your speaker was up into the air. So uh, that one's in the front. Yep. Yep. I, I carried that that model right there, Phil, quite a bit. 
This one's a bit dusty. This one is a transistor FM receiver model R719. Yep, so, that's the uh, 700 series. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is the one I got for 46. It's actually the one I got for 4646. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a nice, clean radio. It worked. But uh, even has a screw in the back for service, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing about the Plectron and, and the mere fact that we're talking about it here in 2021 is the fact that they were made like a brick. I mean, they just were made to work and work and work. And there, to this day, there are still Plectrons sitting in firehouses and, and other places as dependable today as the day they were built. But this one is uh, an R five seventeen. Is the other one I have with the other, yeah. the other handle on it. That's all. It's yeah. all sticky now. Yeah, yeah, the five hundred series. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The the yeah. rubber's uh, slowly disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> it's leaving a residue, a residue in my hand. But yeah, it's. I mean, the as long as the capacitors on them don't pop when you plug them in at this point, right? Because of the age on them, right? I mean, they're still functional. They're nice. They're nice radios. And like you said, they're built like tanks. So. But they we're really still at a point right now, right, where this is something that is like a cable box size with a handle on it that you still have to carry around with you. But like you're saying too, if you go to a neighbor's house or you go, you can plug it in or bring it with you in the car, at least if you have had some power to it, right, an inverter or used uh, a DC input on it or something like that, I guess, but uh, if you had the battery. But so we're getting a little bit more portable. So where where else did Plectron or the alerting uh, features of this uh, – of the Plectron uh, evolve into? Well, Plectron, their big claim to fame was the original radios and the original tone activation features. But they did uh, try to get into the pager business when about the same time Motorola did with with Brand X <laughs> and a couple others. But Plectron saw a lot of competition, I think, at that point. Now, I'm certainly not a business expert on the rise and fall of Plectron, but but it seems to me as, a, as an end user that at the point that we went from boxes to pagers, there were other companies like Motorola and, and Federal that were getting in the game and gave them a lot of competition. And it was just hard for them, I think, to make that transition. They did make a, a Plectron pager. I think they called it the Pager Plus or something. And it had an amplifier base and it, it, it was a, it was a very serviceable unit, but there was other brands out there that were doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. they kind of lost that corner on the market, if you will. And, and, uh, I don't know all the business reasons of why, but I know there was, they had some tragedy within the ownership of the company. And they sold out to someone else. And, you know, who knows what all the other reasons are. But ultimately, uh, they they closed their doors. That's a shame because, again, it's a big, big part of the fire service history and communications and everything else. So, But you also said that many are still in use today. Why do you think if you walk into a fire, a fire department, you still see Plectrons in, in active service? Why? I mean. For the same reason we were talking about before. It's built to last. And mm-hmm. in some business models, that's not a good idea, right? To make something last so long. <laughs> but, but I mean, I know we had Plectrons in my home, like I said, since probably before I was a teenager. And the number of times that they had to go in for service or repair was 
slim to none. So, you know, their dependability was there. And I'm sure as long as the infrastructure of the communication system hasn't changed to force them to change, there's still plectrons. I know the department that I was on that I, that I joined in 75, we used plectrons at the time, not only for alerting in the homes, but they were also used as station monitors. We used them. We had a lot of clever things we did with plectrons because they had built into their circuitry the ability to drive external relays. Okay. When the department would be toned out, you could do a number of things. One of the things that we did is we rang a house bell in the firehouse. It also started the intersection lights at our primary intersection next to our firehouse to make them start flashing. It also unlocked key doors in the firehouse. So as people came in the building, they didn't have to use a key to get in the firehouse. Okay. And, you know, all of that was timed. And all of that was through a plectron. Now, granted, you, today it could be any other radio or it could be something digital, but, but back then it was, it was still a plectron. And, you know, something else we didn't talk about was Plectron had a different name back in the very beginning. Okay. What, what were they? That's news to what, what were they called? In 1955, it was called Fire Call. F-Y-R-C-A-L-L. That okay. was their first model that they made. And there is actually a backstory to Plectron. I don't know at all, but I, I, I know that they were in business for things other than fire radios. Part of it was in the dairy industry, I believe, or plastics or something and metal fabrication. And I, I'm not sure of all the background, but I know there's a backstory to how they came together to actually make the first radio for their local fire department. And it was called Fire Call. And then I think when they, they finally went in the production, they changed the name to Plectron. Gotcha. So there's been quite a history there of, of different models. Hey, did you realize it takes us almost $100 a week just to have this podcast episode professionally edited and sent over to you? This doesn't even include website and podcast hosting, administrative help, and other monthly subscriptions that are required to put the podcast out there. Now, you can help us offset these costs when you shop online. So if you're looking for a scanner radio or some software looking to bid on items over on eBay, or if you're looking to purchase anything, and I mean anything, on Amazon, you can help support Scanner School in the process. And this doesn't come at any extra cost to you. So please check out scannerschool.com support for the multiple different ways that we have out there that you can help support us when you shop online. Again, scannerschool.com support. Are you looking to learn more about the scanner radio hobby? We currently have courses on how to get started and up and running with software-defined radios and how to turn your SDR into a fully functioning scanner radio. With free software, you can see more and do more with trunking than ever before. And with new courses scheduled for the upcoming months, our offerings will be expanding into both Uniden and Whistler hardware and software. Check out our courses at courses.scannerschool.com or by looking for the link in this podcast description. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, 
MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues, too. Visit NatComMag.com to download your free sample issue and sign up today. Did you know that a pager can make a great addition to your scanner radio collection? And even if I didn't own East Coast pagers, I still have one or maybe a couple of pagers as a part of my scanner radio setup. This is because a pager can be used to just monitor your local fire department or your regional departments. And if you set it up correctly to alert you when the tones are sent over the air, then the pager will remain silent until you need to know what is going on. This frees up your scanner to monitor everything else that's going on beside your local stuff or can prevent you from missing the local stuff because your scanner is busy doing other things. Now, pagers aren't just limited to fire dispatches anymore. Unication has great solutions to monitor both analog and P25 paging systems where many public safety and police departments are switching over to. Swiss Home and Apollo make great analog solutions as well, and all three still sell Pogsack and Flex pagers, still in use by many departments for text alerting. East Coast Pagers is an Apollo, Swiss Phone, and Unication dealer serving the North American market, and of course is one of my online companies. So if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, contact us for a free quote and let us know you're a Scanner School listener for something a little extra with your order. For all full inventory, or request a quote, or just to contact us, please visit eastcoastpagers.com. So again, it all, everything we take for granted today, right, all has to start somewhere. And today we've got pagers with uh, synthesized tuners that we can just plug into a computer and we can change the frequency on. We can come in there and we can just change the tones on things. <laughs> and as setting up relays is just, you know, enable, disable, those kinds of things. And you, we can stack, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, how many tones we could stack into a single pager these days. It's mind-boggling, right? Because it's all it's all software-based. It's all it's all on a little chip inside the inside the radio or inside the pager. But it had to start somewhere, right? And it started with a radio like Electron, and it started with analog and mechanical relays, and back to its roots. And like I said, though, it's it's very interesting that we think about it. The tones that come over the air, and sometimes, right? Like you said, you can you can tell the tones before they oh. actually finish or before before the dispatcher comes on. And I know the same thing. It's like when I when I listen to where my parents live, I could tell almost who's going out just by the tone sequence. And then when that final oddball tone comes over that you rarely hear, it's like, oh, squad eight's going out. What's 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 the squad? You know, they they never get toned out. So yeah. you, you start realizing that they're adding something or they're leaving somebody out just based on on the tones. And uh, but again, each one of those pairs or even. Like you were saying, there's some sometimes there's only one tone, but it's a really long tone, and that tone is, was long enough so that the uh, radio would realize, okay, I'm not going to send you a second tone. Right. It became right. it became that uh, set up that way, and uh, you know it all started with with a radio that, like I said, is was was analog and it was mechanically driven to actually fire or or latch on certain relays, and then as you were saying, latch the secondary relay in the back of the unit that you could tie into is something like that, that would do auxiliary things as even as simple as setting off a bell or, or hitting a strobe light or, or in some cases, like you were saying, unlock doors and, and all this other stuff. And, right. uh, 
a lot of that right. can still be used today, though. That uh, a lot of raiders are still are still doing that. Yeah, that that's absolutely a fact. You know, you're talking about the tones. I don't know if this is a good story or a sick story, but I was a fireman for 25 years, and and most of that was as a volunteer. And I'd be home, of course, have have a, a pager or a plectron in the bedroom, but I also had a scanner. This is, you know, probably in the 80s or early 90s, whatever. And, and uh, I'd have it turned down real low when I was in bed at night. So low enough that basically if I was sleeping, it didn't bother me. And my wife actually put up with that. But I would actually wake up and be sitting up before my plectron would go off because I could even subconsciously, I could hear the tone coming. And I knew that my plectron was about to go off and I'd already be getting out of bed when my tone would actually open up the, the plectron. So, yeah, you get really used to hearing those tones. And, you know, every now and then you're fooled by the department that's got one close to you. But it's amazing how, how good a lot of people got listening to those tones. Yep. Yep. It became the calling of my people, so to speak, right? It's yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So, very good. But again, I mean, we're talking about using the Plectron as far as fire communications, but there must have been other types of uses for a device like a Plectron, right? I would assume that for weather alert, sirens, and, and stuff like that, there still would have had to have been maybe something that there was a practical use for a radio like this, right? I mean, in theory. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I can recall some of them being used for the NOAA weather alerts, but I really don't personally know of any other uses. I'm I'm, like you, I'm sure it's out there, but I'm just not familiar with it. But obviously fire, EMS, off-duty policemen possibly, I don't know. Because in order to use it, you need that infrastructure of a communication center that's got the ability to generate the tones and not just anybody has that, so. Yep, yep. So if anybody's wondering why do we hear those two tones when we when we listen to a fire department, that's why they're there. And uh, even even today, as 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 communications modernize, right, and they go from an analog system now to a digital system, even right, and P twenty five trunking, you're still listening to it and you're still hearing those tones, right? They've they've all yeah. got their root back from the nineteen fifties. You know that that's that's how old the you know this technology is seventy years old. You believe it or not. When we, when we think about it, it's amazing that we're still we're still using that to alert everybody. Yeah, all, all started out in uh, Nebraska, where mm-hmm. small town where uh, the first Plectron was made. All right, Greg. So what else? Uh, I mean, we talked about the alerting features of the Plectron, but uh, what else? I mean, why why is something like a Plectron or something similar to a Plectron still needed and still in use? If we're talking about technology, it's seventy years old. Why? Why are we still talking about plectrons, and why are we still talking about two tons? I mean, what's what's it? Why is it still something that's that's in use? Well, the, the fire service or EMTs or potentially even law enforcement still have a have a need to be alerted when off duty, if you will, or in standby mode, whatever you want to call it. And uh, the technology of tone activation is certainly better than where we were back in the 50s. 
like we talked about earlier, you know, at, at home, we started with with a bell that rang and a fire siren on the firehouse. And and as as we progressed through transistorized electrons with batteries and the ability to be more mobile with the alerting radio. And then, of, of course, it wasn't long after that that uh, the late 70s pagers were, were coming into force. So somewhere in the late 70s to mid 80s, I think a lot of departments did what ours did, which is they started to phase out the use of the of the house siren. And for instance, our department had three different sirens because of the size of our our territory to be able to alert our firemen. And uh, that siren blowing at three o'clock in the morning back in the 50s, everybody was okay with that. Number one, it didn't blow very often. And uh, everyone was on board with the fact that you needed to get the volunteers to the department or to the firehouse. But but as uh, as as technology progressed and, and the ability to to tone alert with mobility in mind, the need for those fire sirens started to diminish. And I know uh, we backed off. Uh, we turned off the siren for all EMS calls at one point. And then kind of near the end, we were only blowing the siren from from noon to 6 p.m., thinking that that was the time that people would be out in the yards and maybe away from whatever radio they had. And finally, quite honestly, it was the community that drove those sirens to be turned off because they didn't want to hear it blow. We had and I understand because, you know, I raised a family, too. But, you know, you had people call and say, that siren woke my baby up and I can't read my book when your siren blows and all that kind of stuff. So it got to the point where it's like, you know what, we can do this now. We've got we've got everybody with pagers and we've proven the technology and we can turn the page of history now and turn those sirens off. And now, of course, I'm pretty sure every siren that was a fire siren was and or is now a weather alert siren. So they didn't go out of business. They just repurposed them. So that's kind of a cool thing about that. So Right. I mean, of- where I am here on Long Island, it's a lot of the not my backyard kind of people mentality out here. And it's kind of the same story, right? I'm sure that if you're seeing what you are, I'm seeing where I am. I'm sure a lot of other communities are the exact same way. But it was definitely a – they shut them down for all the EMS runs. And then they would they would tone they would they would fire off at noon every day and at six p.m. every day, right? And uh, then that kind of stopped. And then uh, right now it was just noon on Sundays, and then that <laughs> went away. So it's you know, and it was only for for calls that were during during between twelve and six, like you were saying. So some departments here on the island, I could still hear the whistles go off. For all the for all the calls, like they haven't given up yet, right? They're they're one of the very few lasted holdouts, and it was always cool too because every like every pager tone had its own sound, every fire department had their own whistle, so you could right. also tell who had a call based on how the siren would sound, and some would would be slow, like they would uh, you know they'd be slow to start up, or some yeah. would be more of a whistle, or they'd be the you know the whirling sound with a couple of fog horns, and and the and the horns would would alert like one time for this kind of call and two two horn, you know honks for that kind of call and there was a whole big thing that would that would let the fire department know 
So right now, the department that covers my area, they only run a test on the horns when they run the background or, or the or the uh, the backup repeater. So when they test the backup repeater, they'll test the horns. So usually it's once or twice a month they're going to test the horns. For the most part out here too, if a department goes out with a working house fire, then they'll get the horns going. So I guess to alert everybody like, hey, you know, right. if, if you're ignoring your pager, you may want to – you may want to go. But again, a lot of people are, are in the mindset that why do you need horns? Why do you need that if everybody's got text messaging? They don't realize that text messaging may not be how the fire departments are activating. They're still activating on pagers themselves. But it all goes back to the simplicity of things, right? The pager activation is not consumer pager activation, or for some departments it is, right? They still, some departments in rural areas carry one way pagers like the text alpha text pagers. And that's how they're getting maybe a backup alert. Many departments are self-dispatched though, as far as an analog or a um, a radio dispatcher, whether it be in a trunk system or on a regular frequency, they're getting, and that's, that's their fallback, right? That's their always available communication method of alerting their members. But you gotta remember the horns have to be there too. If, if a department loses their ability to transmit, right? Chances are good the horns won't go off either because I know at least for my department, they have a set of tones that fire right. off the horns. But there still has to be or you would still hope there would be a, a solid plain old telephone line, a POTS line that goes right up to, the, to that uh, relay that somebody can push a button and would trigger that and set the horns off as well. So out here, we don't use the fire service horns as a weather alert system because we're not in an area that gets a lot of tornadoes or something like that. But – but yeah, I mean, I know a lot of departments, I mean, a lot of uh, companies like Federal Signal, right? They are still doing a Absolutely. lot of business, yeah. putting out alert, uh, audible alert systems. So Right, right. Well, I'm from Southern Ohio, and, and obviously this part of the country through civil defense, you know, the and, and NOAA weather, the fire sirens, as well as other sirens are all part of a network for alerting you of bad weather and climate weather and you know they have different different ways of doing it whether it's a, a warning or a, a watch all that sort of thing but but yeah you know so all the sirens around here did get repurposed to that but and, and quite honestly even back in the day they would blow for those as well it was instead of a, a an oscillation of up and down it was just up and it stayed up and that mm -hmm. was the weather alert so don't forget yeah. air raid sirens too right that's right. Yep. 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 But, and I guess they were all repurposed for for the weather alerts after after some time. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you were talking talking about manual ways to set the sirens off. I, I know the station I was at, we had a very low technology way. There was just a start stop button. <laughs> Forget all the electronics. If everything else failed, just push the start button and it would take off. And, and cycle. But, but yeah, again, I'm sure every department is different. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I mean, even those are becoming museum pieces now too, right? There's, there's a lot of campaigns, especially locally here to save the sirens or if a department's going to rebuild a new house or something like that, you know, they, they, they try to at least put the horns back on the roof or to take them off and put them someplace where they're not going to end up in, in a pile or, or being recycled or being crushed. They're trying right. to at least keep them to be a part of history. So it's a shame. But again, you know, that's 
it, that's that's part of the learning system. But again, like I said before, we're all we're still sitting in in a, in a piece of technology in a, in a time period where even today, you know, it's with the with the two tone alerts and the single tone alert, and uh, it, it all it all still that all still works. I mean, it, it's proven technology that uh, it's still a great way of getting somebody to the firehouse or to let them know there's an emergency or wherever else is happening that, uh, that, that kind of, that kind of system still is, uh, is needed. Right. And a little, you know, side note here, firehouses by their design always had a place to put a siren because uh, most of the older firehouses all had what they called a hose tower, which was something that you could vertically hang at least a 50 set, 50 foot section of hose in. So it would air dry after a fire call. So you had this, this tall tower on the side of a firehouse, and that was just a natural place to mount the fire siren on top of that to get gotcha. it up in the air. Never knew that. Yep. <laughs> now, now all these apartments here have the monopoles. They've all got the single pole that goes up, and that's that's what they're mounting everything to. So even, yeah, even that's yeah. changing. Yep. Yep. I know. So, yep. But Good and bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you think about the way things are today, right? So, so back in fifties, sixties, and seventies, we had we had the the Plectron radios, but today we still have scanner radios like the Bearcat radios, right? The Uniden radios, they have fire tone out alerts built into the radio, and yep. what you can do is you can turn them into just a modern Plectron receiver. So if you know the two tones that activate your local department. And the frequency of that department, you could set up your your Bearcat, say your old Bearcat 15 or your 15X or something like that. And it's a great way of repurposing one of those scanners. So if you are if you have one of those old radios and everything now is P25 and you have it sitting in a closet and, and your local department is still banging out on analog with the two tones, I mean, recycle it and make it into a modern day Plectron. Even if you don't know the tones, that radio will decode the tones and flash them on screen so that you can lock it in and then program the radio. So there, there's still still ways to enjoy this part of uh, of the hobby. I have an SDS 200, and if I'm not actively listening and I want to just walk away, I'll put it in alert mode like that. So at least for my local fire and EMS, I'll hear I'll hear the call. I mean that's <laughs> it's kind of overkill for an SDS 200, but <laughs> a little bit. You know, if, if I would have turned it off. I might as well leave it in standby mode and, right. and hear something close to me. So exactly. I mean, yeah. if you look at like the HP one, the HP two, they don't, they don't, they're not set up so that when you turn them off, they can go to fire tone out mode. But they are set up that if you want to turn them off, it gives you the option: do you want to go into weather standby mode? Right. So again, same same kind of idea that well, if you're going to turn the radio off, just put it in standby mode for for weather alert or fire tone out. So at least you still know what's going on around the block. So, right, right. Yeah. Very good, Greg. So you got anything else you want to bring up today? I think that's about it. I think we beat up Quectrons pretty well. <laughs> I don't think we beat well, if we did beat them up, they're still surviving because like you said, they're built like tanks. So <laughs> so they would definitely still work. So excellent. Yeah. Well, Greg, it, it was great having you on here and, and uh talking about Plectrons. This is definitely a topic I've I think I had this topic pretty much on my sheet when I first started putting topics together for for the podcast and i just never got to speaking about it so when you brought it up 
as something that uh, that that we could talk about on the podcast, I was I was excited to to have you on and to speak about it and to have you here and, and share share not only how plectrons work but also your history with the plectron radio. So I definitely appreciate you having you having you here. Thank you very much. It was fun doing it. Thanks. Great, Greg. Thanks again, Greg. Thank you again for being a guest on the podcast and for sharing your stories. I hope that everybody who is listening to today's podcast enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And I'd love it if everybody could jump into the Discord server and share your feedback or even your stories on how you had used Plectrons if, of course, you used them or if you use them today. You can join the Discord server by going to scannerschool.com slash Discord. And again, if you want to be a guest on today's podcast, scannerschool.com slash guest. As a reminder, next week is another Ask Scanner School session. It's the last one of the year, and I would love to answer your questions. Please go to scannerschool.com slash ask to ask me a question, or if you leave us a voicemail by dialing 516-308-2885 or using a SpeakPipe link, we will put you in the running for a free tutoring session. So with that, if you found some value in today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Or if you're watching us over on YouTube, make sure you click subscribe over there as well. And if you think you know somebody that would benefit from today's podcast episode, please share it with them because that's how we can help more people with the scanner radio hobby. So with that, we will catch you all next week where we start with December. can't believe it's the end of the year already. So I'm Phil Lichtenberger. And this is Scanner School. We teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73.